Hi, this is Annika. Welcome to the Not My Problem podcast. Let's have some long overdue, uncomfortable conversations. Welcome to episode five. In the last episode, we discussed feminism and we looked at feminist history uh, with a specific focus on the kind of people and figures in the movement that you may have not heard about before. But we also discussed how feminism can actually benefit all genders. Exactly. And prior to that, in earlier episodes, we were discussing racism and also representation as a means to combat racism. So this time around, we actually want to discuss what happens when you find yourself at the inter intersection of different discriminations. And um, this notion is actually known as intersectionality. And um, so you know that we are going to give you a definition, a proper definition for it. So more formally, Annika, what is intersectionality? So first and foremost, this term was actually coined by our hero, Kimberly Crenshaw, in 1989. She's a professor and the formal definition for intersectionality is that it is a theoretical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities For that, we mean uh, gender, sex, race, class, sexuality, religion, ability, physical appearance, height, etc. might actually combine to create unique modes of discrimination and privilege. Yes, thank you. So uh, what intersectionality does, it, it identifies advantages or disadvantages that are felt by people due to a combination of factors. Um, Yeah, so more broadly, what, what does that mean concretely, Annika? So, um, I don't know if you remember that when we started the episode on feminism, if you have listened to it, mm -hmm. uh, that we kind of led on to this idea that feminism has not always been inclusive and it's not always been representative of all women. And the idea behind intersectionality really is that it's focused on the experience of women who, you know, are not just white and middle class, but also include different experience from women of color, women who may be poor, immigrants or other groups. So that's really what intersectional feminism is trying to identify and separate itself from the, let's say, traditional white feminism that many people know. Yeah, so I really like this example of uh, a specific case of uh, intersectionality, which is this uh, feminism that you, you mentioned. But um, we need to remember that intersectionality um, aims to look at any combination of, uh, you know, discrimination that you can um, feel, observe, be subjected to. Um, so to give you a better idea, a better uh, understanding, we kind of want to go through some examples yes. of uh, these like, dynamics that you can have. So, for example, like she already, uh, Annika already mentioned, uh, discrimination of how race and gender combined together can act in very specific ways. Yes, exactly. So, one of the um, first examples we really want to give is the idea, and many people have heard of this, and um, I'm kind of glad we talked about stereotypes beforehand because <laughs> this comes in quite handy now. Uh, the angry black woman syndrome. And Seth, do you want to go a bit more into that and explain what this actually means? Yes, so that's something that you can... It's a, a sort of a, 
a stereotype or a name that uh, we we give to to black what well, black women specifically. So no one is gonna call you an angry black woman if you're not black and a woman. <laughs> so that's what we mean by the uh, intersection of uh, race and, and gender uh, discrimination, and um, it kind of draws this this picture of the black woman as be if 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 uh, you happen to be black and woman and um, affirm your voice or your place very often very easily um, you will be called angry black women and it also i think is something that we've seen perpetuated in the media right i remember uh, was it gondolisa rice who had a very horrendous uh, cartoon um, drawn of her when she literally just advocated for something she believed in and um, she was portrayed as this overly large loud person that was um, you know being obnoxious to some extent and media has really uh, fed into the stereotype um, that now it's at a point where uh, black women specifically get discriminated against for raising their voices yeah exactly and like the list of examples goes on and on you might remember serena williams uh, mm. the incident uh, in where like she got upset at one of the games and um smashed her, uh, her racket, tennis racket, for example, and that was uh, straight away, she was just labeled as an angry black woman who does not know how to control herself, so on and so forth. When a fellow uh, white woman does that on the court, no one picks up on yeah. that. Um, I believe it was just l earlier this year where Djokovic did the very same thing, if not uh, more um, aggressively, and he was just labeled as being passionate and impulsive. Yes. Um, so this is how we can see that not just stereotypes, but the idea of the, um, the combination of race and gender can actually be almost double harmful, so to say. Yeah. But it also extends to um, other aspects of life. So for example, the beauty industry. Uh, we have known for a very long time and seen this actually, that a lot of models are white, white, blonde, skinny, on average, let's be honest. Yeah, it is um, a lot harder to land a job as, a, as an Asian woman or as a, as a black woman in the, in the beauty industry, modeling industry. Um, yeah, unfortunately. So that's like a very specific sort of um, um, discrimination that you can that you can have only if you are a woman and uh, a person of color at the same time. And another uh, example within the um, within the intersection of race and, and gender is the stereotype that is around Asian women. Um, I have heard that unfortunately more than once. I really dislike it, mm. but um, the saying how Asian women are submissive. Yes, so they're seen automatically as just someone who's very quiet, has no opinion, just because they may not, you know, express themselves like Western women, typically white Western women would do. So that's something obviously that's also very harmful um, because, I mean, I think both Seth and I know a lot of Asian women and none of them are submissive, yeah. really. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and also another example would be where race and gender plays a role when it actually comes to the combination not just for black women but also black men yeah so <laughs> on the top of my head I can think of uh, this um, 
nasty believe the uh, big black cock, for example, yes. like this hypersexualization of of the male black body, as in, uh, yeah, just a, this, society. This, not seeing as as a human, but mm. just as a, a like piece of meat. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> that, no that's where, exactly where I was going at. Uh, there's another aspect also of um, label that we give to, to black men uh, that they are violent very often. So again, like uh, a man that happens to act, to react um, aggressively, if that man also happens to be bla- black, uh, the consequence typically will be much worse immediately. Yes, and I think uh, we all can agree that that is very much playing out um, on the national stage at the moment in the US. Uh, it's, I mean, the year um, where so many black men have been either arrested um, or unfortunately been killed just for existing, really. Yeah. Um, and then there's also for, for women of color, um, we found that they actually experience a different form of racism from men of color, just as they experience a different form of sexism from white women. So in that sense, gender is always raced and race is always gendered. Yes, and that can affect um, a number of different aspects of life, actually. So, for example, um, a lot of black feminist groups have highlighted how racism can be institutional. So in the police, in the social services, and it's always gendered in the sense that black women for example are more likely to be not willing to report domestic violence um, because they are actually scared of feeding into that racist stereotype including the stereotype of black men that all black men are violent which is just not true yeah so indeed all of these like discriminations uh, they're just intervi- like they are intertwined and then they end up like penalizing um Uh, different genders and different races uh, in a different way. Yes, and it also means that often a lot of issues are being sidelined. So, for example, domestic violence and sexism uh, don't get really, um, you know, on the right agendas. um, And often um, anti-racist organization groups can't put the proper effort forward because there is this lack of wanting to report crimes for example yeah yeah so then like that results in a, in a dynamic of under reporting and a lack of assistance and then you know it's just a vicious circle that is really hard to get out of really is um we also have another um, example of a combination of these factors um, or characteristics that we had mentioned earlier in the definition and that's the combination of um, physical abilities and gender Yeah, so for example, uh, women with disabilities um, cannot be seen as sexy very often. Yes, and the same actually also um, applies to men, but I think not as much. I think from my personal observations uh, in the UK specifically, um, from men who left the military service, for example, after the war, there are the Invictus Games um, or other initiatives that show how men can still be strong and sexy and can survive such horrendous things. Whilst for women, um, there is no such thing. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Which is very sad. Another interesting example of a combination of characteristics um, is uh, race and sexual orientation or gender identity. 
Yes, so one of the very um, best examples really is how transgender women, for example, are far more likely to be victims of extreme violence. And that really, that risk of being at this kind of extreme violence really, uh, you know, doesn't even just double, but <laughs> explodes exponentially if you're also, for example, black or Latino and transgender. And just to give you a little bit of an idea, so the um, human rights campaign has found that just in 2020 alone, uh, at least, and that's we're talking a minimum, 30 transgender or gender non-conforming people have either been fatally shot or killed um, in the US and Puerto Rico, where Puerto Rico um, is probably four examples. Um, the majority is in the US and it's just horrendous. Yeah, and I know also that Brazil actually um, suffers from this phenomenon a lot. Um, I couldn't find um, exact numbers for this year, but I know that in uh, 2019, so just last year, at least 124 trans women were killed. Um, trans women of color were, were killed in Brazil. So that's just in a year being killed for being a uh, transgender uh, woman. And obviously this doesn't or isn't helped by also various stereotypes um, that are being promoted. So for example, um, I'm pretty sure every person has heard of the so-called lady boy, where we're talking about um, Thai transgender women. Yeah, and very often it's a, in a context of uh, mockery or, um, yeah, really just Ridiculing. Like, yeah, ridiculing, yeah. yeah. Which is just horrendous and a horrible, horrible thing to do. Uh, there is so much shame attached to all of this. It's unbelievable what people have to go through just to be able to live their life as they want. Mm, yeah. And uh, when it comes to sexual orientation and race, um, an example that I can think of is that in the, in the Black or Caribbean community, there are so many derogatory terms for gay men. Yes, so these are obviously um, quite sobering uh, examples of how these individual factors of race, sexual orientation or gender identity can really um, increase your suffering. And I think there's no other word for that. Yeah. Um, we also want to talk about another example that most people probably will be familiar with, which is gender and religion. Yeah, so typically uh, Muslim, Muslim men are very often portrayed only as terrorists. Yes, I mean, who hasn't seen that um, kind of stereotype being propagated? And again, um, we actually have seen research that showed that specifically after 9-11, there has been far more racial profiling, especially um, towards the Muslim community in the US. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, when it comes to Muslim women, what do you offer? Uh, often here is that they don't have a voice or they're submissive or they would do whatever their husband or father tells them to do so there's like this huge misconception around islam and um, what it means to be a, a muslim um, woman um, that people that are not just don't understand continue to perpetuate um, without any justification whatsoever yes um, and then again, um, we want to talk about a little bit about other aspects. So, for example, we mentioned um, a little bit early on when we talked about the angry black woman syndrome 
there is also this idea of combination of body shape and gender that can be really harmful. Yeah, so um, for example, if you look at uh, women that are very, very skinny, uh, almost automatically um, they will be seen as uh, suffering from anorexia, even though it might not be the case at all. So they'll be like almost shamed for being too skinny and like they will hear things like, okay, go and eat a burger already, why are you so skinny? Yes. Um, and I think there is actually um, an even worse effect for women who are overweight. And my favorite example here is uh, if a man is overweight in his 30s or 40s, he has the dead bod. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what that is. If not, Google Chris Pratt. I think he popularized that term. Um, if a woman who literally, in many cases, has physically pushed another human being outside of her body, she is being called lazy or being, you know, called ter names basically for, um, you know, not getting herself together and not snapping back quick enough. Mm. Um, moving on to another example. Uh, so, for example, if you look at the combination of uh, gender and sexual orientation, and what does that mean? So, it might be a bit um, difficult to imagine or to understand, but we can try at least to understand how gay men uh, must be facing very different struggles from gay women, right? Yes, very much so. So, for example, uh, one struggle that a lot of gay women have is that they're being overtly sexualized and not taken serious in their relationship. That's due mainly to um, the patriarchy, unfortunately, where, you know, especially in porn, uh, lesbian women are seen as desirable for example but it also has a backfiring effect yeah so um so often you will hear people uh, saying oh you only lesbian because you haven't found the right man, man mm. yet <laughs> yeah. so that's something that you don't say to a gay man a gay man ever you, i've never he heard at least uh, the phrasing you only like uh, men because you haven't found the gay, uh, the right woman. Yes, um, I think there are many of those examples. Um, and I think our last example here really is that of the combination of gender and age. And that's really where we look at how women are really not allowed to uh, age gracefully. When you compare it to men, they age the same way just as men. But uh, women or people in, of, in a society often fetishize um, actors, such as yeah. George Clooney, you know. Yeah, silver fox, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, um, you know, get better with age. But women like Jennifer Lopez, for example, you know, isn't allowed to age gracefully at, you know, 50, 60. While it's perfectly fine to, you know, look after yourself and do whatever you want to do. Yeah, we basically only praise uh, older women if they manage to re have, having a look that, uh, that they had when they were in their 20s. Yes, when they still look youthful enough and there is not a wrinkle to be seen anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I hope this gives you kind of an idea of how... When we talk about uh, discriminations, it's important to consider the different dimensions um, and how they interplay um, and what it means. Because, uh, for example, both Anita and, and myself are women, but our experience in this world will differ um, tremendously because yeah. I'm black and she's white. 
Exactly. And one thing we really have to be aware of when we look at social justice movements is that we try to address injustice from multiple dimensions, because the big danger is that we may actually end up perpetuating systems of in inequities um, towards other groups by trying to fight for one cause. Yeah. So, for example, if you think about feminism, if you only support the feminism movement to advocate for white uh, women, you are not being inclusive. And that's actually going to end up being quite har harmful for women who are not white. Obviously, this also goes for women who are transgender. So where their birth gender may not match up with the gender that they identify with. So if you feel like you can only um, advocate for women who are biologically born women, then you're not advocating for all women. That's just simple, simple facts. That's just fake feminism. Fake feminism. <laughs> <laughs> We called it. <laughs> so a really good example for that is that um, is in, um, in re with respect to domestic violence and uh, femicide. To eliminate violence against all women and girls, we have we really have to address how violence differs between different groups of women. Because the violence women and girls experience isn't just based on their gender. It's very much also based on, for example, on their race or also whether where they are from. So, for example, uh, according to the RCMP, um, which is a Canadian institution, it was found that between 1980 and 2012, there were about um, 1,880-ish cases of missing or murdered Indigenous women. However, the Minister for the Statues of Women and the Natives Women Association of Canada have actually estimated that the number is closer to 4,000 women. And obviously, this is... Um, another good example of where it's not just the gender that impacts on that figure and it's also been actually found in Canada that um, indigenous women are six times more likely to be killed than non-indigenous women. Yeah and um, so we yeah we've seen uh, race or place of origin but also uh, disability is a big factor when it comes to violence against women so um, 83% of women with disabilities are sexual, sexually assaulted within their lifetimes, compared to 33% um, of uh, women overall. Um, and in fact, uh, women and girls with disabilities are two to four times more likely to experience domestic violence um, compared to women without disabilities. Yes, and um, I mean, these are really, really shocking figures, but to just really... Um emphasize this point that gender isn't just enough is um, for example 44% of lesbian women experience intimate partner violence compared to 35% of heterosexual women so again like it's really important when when we are uh, advocating for for rights that we understand the the, the different elements that that come into play um, so now we just want to kind of uh, give you an overview of what the current situation is in the UK with respect to intersectionality. So what we specifically want to discuss is um, a specific part of UK legislation that tries to protect workers' rights. And we've actually found that it has a very distinct issue with intersectionality. Yeah, so there is the uh, Equality Act 2010. So the things that are listed uh, in, this, uh, in this Equality Act as being protected characteristics are 
age, disability, gender reassignment, marriage or civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race, religion or belief, sex and sexual orientation. And that really sounds great, right? It's a fairly um, inclusive list, that's quite long. Um, and there's another section in there, which is section 14, which contains a provision to cover direct discrimination on up to two combined grounds. So, and that's really known as combined or dual discrimination. Yeah, so that on, in theory is really great. It means that we have all these different characteristics and we also want to consider how, uh, like the, the roles they play when they're combined. However, uh, in fact, this section yeah. has never been brought into effect as the government deemed it too complicated and burdensome for businesses. And, I mean, <laughs> we got to laugh about this a little bit, right? So someone went out of their way to create this list to make sure it becomes a law in the UK, and then they decided not to impl implement it. And it really demonstrates a systematic neglect of the issue that um, intersectionality presents, because um, the UK courts have explicitly decided not to cover it in, as an intersectional discrimination in their courts. Yeah, so given that, we need to keep in mind how important it is that us, every single one of us, do this extra effort to consider all the implications of uh, intersectionality because unfortunately some governments failed to actually um, take it seriously enough and to implement those, those laws that are um, around this. So this is kind of the reasoning behind um, why Anika and myself wanted to have a whole episode about this because uh, we really wanted to, you know, shed light and, and remind everyone how important it is and that currently not enough is being done. Yes, exactly. And we also really want to remind everyone who's listening to us that this is in no way or by any means um, a way of competing in who suffers the most, right? Because I think this is often a criticism that's being um, brought up. But this is... Yeah, I mean, oppression yes. is not a competition. It's not yes. about who has the most dis discrimination. And like, that's not what we're saying here. At all. And um, it's really trying to make people understand that different people have different struggles. And that if you want to advocate for any kind of uh, feminism or even just social justice, you need to be aware of these different factors. Otherwise, as Seth said earlier so nicely, it's just a bullshit. It's fake feminism. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think that kind of brings us uh, at the end of uh, the main body, at least of this uh, episode, uh, in which we went over the definition and some examples of intersectionality and also um, we raised awareness on to how there is unfortunately a lack of interest uh, from governments and lawmakers uh, when it comes to um, uh, intersectionality issues. So now we are going to move on to our um, suggestion section for this episode. Yes, we are. So we want to make a couple of suggestions on how you can make a change really in your everyday life. And our first suggestion is that um, people from very different backgrounds have very different experiences and uh, they could have them on various levels. So be just aware, check yourself every time, you know, you walk into a room, you converse with someone about an issue that there might be someone in front of sitting in front of you that has a very different experience to you when it comes to the same problem. Yeah, and that's uh, specifically important for people from uh, some of the dominant groups to just uh, remember and check themselves because it is a bit harder to recognize when someone might have characteristics that put them at a very unfair disadvantage if you're not experiencing it yourself. So it's kind of especially uh, important for you if you happen to be 
from the dominant group to uh, remember and like you know check yourselves in those situations yes uh, being more self-aware can really make a massive difference in shaping those conversations yeah so do not take for granted the uh, notion that uh, a group is socially superior than another because that's not like we've been through this is yes. just not true we've just spent almost <laughs> half an hour on this <laughs> Um, yes, and another suggestion on how to make a change is really diversify your entertainment. So try and read books that are not just written by people that are, you know, the same gender as you are or the same color of skin that you have, you know. That's really important to seeing yeah. other people's points of views. Exactly. That would help you understanding where uh, some of the things that you simply cannot experience yourself. So that's really a, an extra that's a step that you can really do that's easy um it's just make sure like when you pick up a new book or you decide to watch a new movie try to do something different a bit different next time yes and then um another on our final suggestion to make a change is really you know understand the space you occupy so whether that's in your work environment or whether that's um in your friendship group what kind of people do you surround yourself with is it 50 50 men and women for example Or is it, you know, that you have only one friend who is from the BAME community? Or is this space safe for transgender people? That's really, really important just to keep questioning all the assumptions that you have. Exactly. And rethink your definition of, uh, of what is a diverse group. So as Annika mentioned, for example, we might think that if we have 50-50 Uh, men and women we might think okay that's diverse mm. enough but then no you should also look at okay within those um, people how many are actually people of color how many have disabilities so think yes. of all of these different characteristics at once when you want to think about diversity yes so it'd be great if you just continue to questioning all the spaces around you and at the end of the day really try and show up for people so if you notice that maybe it's not really diverse the work environment you're in or maybe your friendship group go out of your way to question some of the assumptions and don't you know feel scared to question those assumptions yes please do not feel scared to speak up uh, show it mention it because it can really be life-saving Uh, some spaces are we know are very unsafe for for, spe for a specific group of people and for them it's extra hard to 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 mention it so it's really important for the rest of us to not be afraid and to always advocate for diversity inclusion and creating spa safe spaces for all yes uh, very much so now this brings us really to the last part of episode five seth do you want to do the shout out shout out yes, yes. <laughs> so we talked about um diversifying your um uh, entertainment right so with that in mind we want to suggest uh as a read recommendation this in this episode the galdem magazine which is an online and a print publication committed to sharing perspectives from women and non-binary people of color um, now, for the listen, what we have is uh, a podcast called So Many White Guys uh, with uh, Phoebe Robinson. And um, our watch recommendation is a TED Talk again by um, our hero, Kimberly Crenshaw, The Urgency uh, of Intersectionality. Yes, thank you for doing the shout out, Seth. And thank you all for listening to us. Um, we hope we gave you some information that you haven't heard before and you found it interesting. Thank you so much and see you next time. Thanks for listening.
And don't forget, this is your problem too.